If you guys will pray with me and for me, I'll be praying with you and for you. Uh, I know I need it, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, God, thank you, oh, man, for all of the promises and all those songs, God. We thank you for uh, the mercy and forgiveness that we find in you, Lord. We thank you that you never leave us alone, no matter what life brings, that you've promised, God, that even though trials come and tribulations come, that because you have overcome them, Lord, that you'll get us through in whatever ways that looks like. So, God, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, they're here for a reason. Whether they want to be here today, whether they drug themselves here or somewhere in between, I pray, God, that their hearts would be open and that you would move in their lives in whatever way they need. And, Father, as we look and uh, have a conversation about how you've moved in the life of, of one of your children, I pray, God, that everyone would be open um, to hearing uh, the truth that can be found in that, Lord. We thank you, Father, so much uh, for all you do and all you are. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So welcome to The Remnant. A little different today. If uh, this is your first time, it is a little different. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Conversations. And in Conversations, what we do is essentially we're having a conversation. We're hearing about people's stories and how God has moved in their life because he does, right? Did you know that God still moves in your life? That even today, this week, God is moving in your life. Um, and then he's, got, he's doing things to us because we're not arrived at the end goal yet, right? And we have that promise that the good work he started in us, he's going to finish it. And uh, so it's, really, it's been really neat, right? Have you guys enjoyed hearing people's stories? Give me, a, give me something. Yeah, good. So uh, today we're doing a live one. We don't know how this will go. So we're going to test it out. But um, he can make his way up. Give a hand to Blake. Blake's coming. Hey, buddy. Oh, you're going to need your mic. Hello. Hey, Norman and, uh, Norman and Brandon, they just... Yeah, so uh, Blake, just to let you guys know, I know Blake really well. We have a program here called the Remnant House. Man, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, uh, and what that is has been an internship. So I've lived with this guy. Uh, him and some other guys have lived with me. I've gotten to know him. How long has it been now? I've lived with you guys for almost two years, I think. That's crazy. Maybe going so, on three, I don't know. Um, we'll get into that, the story from when I first met you. Until now, yeah, um, because I had a, I had a nickname for Blake for how he was when he showed up. Because he, uh, I'll give you a clue. See, Blake was an illusionist. He was really good at giving you, yeah, what uh, what you wanted to see, right? Um, and he'll talk about that. So I'm really excited. I'm really proud. I might get teary eyed because I, I love this guy. I'm really proud of him. He's grown a ton. So that being said, uh, why don't we go ahead and just tell him a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, all that sure. stuff. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you already started the schmooze. Dang it. He also has another thing. He, he schmoozes people. When you meet him, you're like, why do I like him so much, naturally? So whenever he does it to me, he's doing it right now. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, so my name's Blake. Uh, I grew up in South Whitley, actually. Um, went to church pretty much my whole life. I grew up in church. Um, I was baptized at about six or seven. Um, I was pretty young. The pastor at the time didn't even really baptize anyone that young because typically kids don't understand but he talked to me for a couple weeks, actually, about it, and he, he knew that I understood. Um, so at about six or seven, I was baptized at First Baptist Church in South Whitley. Um, my whole life, I grew up in church, youth group. I, I had a church household, right? Like, my parents uh, took us to church every Sunday. They encouraged that. Uh, all through elementary, middle school, high school, I was kind of like, I was the God guy, right? Like, that, that, that was my role in the, my friends group was I was the guy that people came to when they weren't sure what to do or if they needed prayer or 
whatever it was, um, so they would just come to me. Um, that was kind of my role. So that kind of led all through high school, and then uh, eventually I found my way here. So I've been yeah. coming here for going on four years, I think. Yeah, you skipped a lot. Yeah. So we'll go back to that. Is he cutting in and out? Say, you got it? Say something. Hello? Keep going. We going good? All right, good. Everything? There we go. All right. All right. Hey, nice all right. job, David. So, um, yeah, so you're the God guy, mm -hmm. and according, you, you were saved, six or seven. Absolutely, we talked about yeah. this earlier. Um, so what started to happen in high school? Um, so in high school, it was weird because I didn't really fit in with any one group, right? So, like, I was kind of the misfit, right? I didn't I, – I was an athlete. I played tennis and baseball all four years. I didn't quite fit in with the other athletes, right? I was a smart kid. I got good grades, but I didn't fit in with the other kind of, like, whatever that would be, right? Um, I wasn't, like, in band, but I was friends with a lot of the band kids. I wasn't, like – I loved art, so I was friends with, like, the art kids, but I wasn't really artistic. Um, so I was, like, I found my shtick in being, you know, the God guy. Um, and then afterwards, it just kind of, I don't know, not being able to fit in, um, it really just led me to a place to where, like, I wanted to feel needed, right? I wanted to feel wanted and needed. Um, and that led to a lot of different places and different experiences. So what year in high school would you say that that shift started to happen? Probably around junior year, like late junior year, senior year, it started to kind of switch, but I was able to... Um, because I still had to keep up my reputation, right, of this God guy and the Christian and the, and the school and everything. I actually, my senior year, I, I was the first student to ever do the baccalaureate message. They always had a teacher or another member of the community do it, and I was schmooze. the, I was the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the schmooze. Yeah. Um, but I was the first teacher ever to, or not teacher, I was the first student to ever do that. So, so when you were talking about, you said, I don't really fit in these places, and you said that you started to go somewhere else to be needed and wanted, what were you feeling, or what weren't you feeling that you wanted to find? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think I didn't feel cared about mm -hmm. in a way. Um, there was a lot of people in my life that I poured into consistently, um, and I helped out, and any time I felt like I needed help, I just got brushed off. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was looking for that, um, I don't know, just that that need to just be cared about in a way. So where did you take that need? Man, and I mean, it, it went um, it went pretty pretty bad for a while. Um, I jumped around from girl to girl, relationship to relationship, uh, looking for sex. That's all I did for probably two to three years after high school. Um, that's where that's where my focus was because in that time, that time with that girl, like I felt needed, right? Because I was providing something for her and she was giving something to me. So there is that we were both caring for each other, right? Like it was that sort of feel. So what would happen when, because you said girl to girl to girl, what would happen when one of those would end? Um, I never gave myself time to process or anything. I just immediately shoved it down and moved on because, you know, well, she didn't care about me, so I'm going to find someone that will. And then it led to the same thing, just just numbing sex that didn't really mean anything, right? In the, at, at, at the end of the day, it didn't mean anything. It was just a th another sort of thing that made me feel cared about. So how did that affect your being the God guy? Or was it, did what everyone else have said, it's the same? So I was, I was, very, I was very careful about the girls that I, I was with, right? So like a, the, a lot of the girls I was with, my friends didn't know them or it would be in secret or whatever. Mm. Um, so there was that. Was that intentional looking back? Do you remember thinking, you know, 
yes and no. This, this is someone that I can keep away from this part of my life. I, I, I think it was in a way. I don't think I was like purposefully seeking that yeah. out, but it was almost like, hey, this is an added benefit sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So then that's what it looked like. That's how it affected your appearance. So it didn't really affect it. People probably still thought the same thing. A, a lot of people did, yeah. Okay. So then how did you feel? Did you ever have, what, what, what was it like to, to be safe, to know that, mm -hmm. according to your own, to, and then to be living this way? It was, it was a really weird place to be in because, like, I, I knew who I was, right? Like, I, still, I knew all that, but it was like I was, I was hiding, mm. right? Like, I, I, we talked about this a little earlier, but when I saw the sermon title was Hide and Seek, I was like, that is how I feel. It's like that little kid that is playing hide and seek with her parents, and they hide behind the curtain, but the curtain only comes down to their knees. So you see the kid's feet, and the parent's like, I know where you're at. Like, you're hiding right there. But you're just like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know? Um, so, so who are you hiding from? Um, a lot of it was I was trying to hide myself from God, right? Like, that, that was my image. Is I was like, if I do this in secret, then he doesn't really know about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, I did hide a lot of it from my family. Um, I even tried at one point to kind of help because they thought something was going on, but I just I was able to just schmooze it away. Mm -hmm. um, so I hid it from my family, my friends that I knew saw me as the God guy. Like, I still had to try to be that to them. Mm -hmm. So I hid it a lot from them. And so. so my thought would be that when you weren't with these girls, because of that, no one really knows what's going on, that it felt pretty lonely. Absolutely. It was um, that, you know, however long of being cared for to just pure loneliness between, so between say, each so time. Each, so what did you, what was, what were the kind of feelings? Do you remember putting yourself, okay, this relationship ends, sure. you say, I, I push away, I'm immediately mm -hmm. on the hunt for another one. Mm -hmm. What were you feeling during that time? That those space between? Um, it was a lot of almost like, I don't know how to quite explain, but like panic in a way mm -hmm. because I wasn't getting what I needed. So like I was just trying to be like, I, I got to have this. It was like an addiction, right? Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean by that panic because you put everything in this. Mm -hmm. If this is the one thing that you've put everything into that's giving you comfort, hope, life, whatever else it is, and then it's gone, I mean, you can feel like you're drowning, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was like being, it was barely keeping my nose above the water, being able to get a, a breath of air every now and then just enough to where I didn't drown, but that was it. So if your, your focus was primarily always on these relationships, was there an effect on your focus being taken off of other things? Did other areas of your life start to suffer? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, especially like primarily my walk with God, cause I didn't, I didn't care anymore. I was like, I'm already doing X, Y, Z. So it doesn't matter sort of thing. Um, relationships with my friends started to fall apart with some of them. Um, the people that actually were there for me, my, there were some members of my family that kind of for a while tension, like there was tension there because they, they knew there was something going on, but they couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and so there was a tension and stuff that was relationships were broken for a while. Were you anxious a lot? All the time. Yeah. Because it was always, I'm going to get found out. What would have happened to you? Like, what was the feeling that would have happened if you got found out? Um, that I would be, I don't want to say necessarily hated, but kind of ostracized a bit. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, you held up, you know, this image while this was going on. Like, you don't deserve to hold that title anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. Be this, be that, whatever it was. So then high school ends, and what happens? Does it continue? Yeah, it actually started after high school. Through high school, it wasn't too bad. Um, I 
I struggled a lot with you know things like porn and what whatnot through high school, um, but after high school is when this kind of hit. Yeah. And so, um, that's when I kind of come like I I sort of run into you. So I still remember this distinctly, um, and we don't have to go too many details, sure. but you want to kind of sure. share what brought you here, and then I'll pick up what I saw. Yeah, so I actually started coming to the Remnant back when uh, it was still at the center, right? There was like 20 people. We talk about this. <laughs> yeah. There was like 20 people. There, we only had a Mandy singing, a, an acoustic guitar, and a box drum. I think that, that was it. That was the yeah. whole, whole set. Um, but I came because I was looking for that relationship again. You know, I was, I was chasing somebody and then I chased them here to the room. Yeah. So I meet this guy. And um, so typically confession, right? I I love I mean this genuinely. This isn't pastor talk. I'm not very good at pastor talk anyway. So I love everyone I meet. But when you meet a lot of people, you can tell the people that one are really wanting to talk to you, right? The people that I really want to the people that aren't. But the other thing that God kind of does for me sometimes is I'll meet someone and maybe I don't even have any more than a two-minute conversation. But I walk away and I know or feel this sense of like, I don't know how to explain it. Because um, I don't want to sound all hypermystical. But it, it's, it's a sense of, man, I see this person. And when I saw Blake, I immediately was drawn to him and I genuinely liked him. And I knew that he had a good heart. I could see that. I mean, you, I could just see that. However, I also remember him... Thinking, me thinking to myself, he's feeding me what he thinks I want to hear. I mean, right off the bat. He, he came up to me, and he, he church smooth talked to me and gave me the good handshake and the pearly whites, and he still does it, right? And, um, man, he just, uh, and, and he's a good speaker. He's very gifted at that, um, and he's just good with people. So he walked away, and I'll be honest with you because, you know, <laughs> we were blessed with a lot of, you know, Handsome young guys and pretty young girls here at the Remnant, so you're going to attract people, all right? So I'm used to seeing people kind of come and go, right? They're here to see their girlfriend or their boyfriend, and then they, they roll out. So I didn't expect to see you again, really, but you came back. Softball. Softball, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here was my hook, because I remember, I think I even told you, I don't know if you remember this. We have not, clearly we have not practiced this, um, but do you remember me telling you I don't know how I said it, but something along the lines of, like, I really want to, I want to talk to you, man, or, like, I see, I don't remember how I said it, probably some weird Todd version. Was it the time at softball? I think there Is that was, a, it was? There was yeah. a time at yeah. practice one night where we talked, yeah. Now, I guess I should preface by saying I had heard the name Blake before I met Blake. I did not like the name Blake um, because I'd heard things about him, and I wanted to fight him uh, because of this, this girl that I care about, and well, then I met him, and I, I remember this, I was like, well, I can't dislike this guy right now, he's, he's not this, I had pictured this strange mix between, like, Brad Pitt, <laughs> Tom Cruise, and, like, a, a drug dealer, <laughs> like, when I'd heard about him, right, sure, sure. not, yeah. not, uh, not you, but when I'd heard about you, so when I met you, I'm like, well, clearly, you know, yeah, he's schmoozing me. He's got, a, he's got the movie star smile. I don't see any drugs. He seems fairly, uh, fairly normal. So softball, we got you. Mm-hmm. Because you want to tell everyone the rule about softball if you want to play here at the Remnant? Yeah, if you want. Because we actually, P.S., if you're a visitor here, tell your churches, follow the church. Follow the rules <laughs> for the church league. If you don't want to play church league softball, go play in a real, in this direct league. Follow the rules. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so the, the rule for our league 
and that we, you know, very strictly we follow. We hold here. Yes. Yeah. Um, is that you can't, because our games are every Saturday. You can't play unless you come to church the Sunday before. Unless something comes up sure. legit, right? But, but if it's like your 12th, your engine blow, right, Zach? Or, you know, your 15th. <laughs> like, at that point, um, you know, we, we know. So yeah. this guy, I could tell he was pumped. He's pumped about softball. So I was like, I got him. I at least got him through softball season. But what happened after softball season ended? I didn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got to know him. I like him. He's a, he's a really good softball player. Um, and then uh, this is where it's weird, man, for me, because our journey together has been long enough now that there are that part of knowing you is almost faded away. Sure. But you came back again, right? For softball. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in between, to give him some credit, he would pop in and out yeah, periodically. Yeah. Why would you still come periodically? What was, what was making you, what was going on? So even though I came to the remnant for the wrong reasons, right, I, like there was something different. The first, even that first time when, when everything was just simple at the center, there was hardly anybody, like I could tell there was something different. Um, and just like I kept getting drawn back. Um, at, at the time, I did work um, an early shift on Sunday, so I couldn't go to my family's church, right? I do remember that. Um, so the remnant was, I, I, if I was going to go to church, I had to go in the evenings, and it's, it was the only church I knew of at the time that had evening service on Sundays. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big draw as it still fit into my schedule of everything. So yeah. I would pop in and out when I felt like it. So during this time outside of it, before we kind of come here, do you remember moments? Do you ever remember coming to the end of your rope? Do you remember, um, I don't know, I guess do you remember the feeling that I'm hiding from God, but he's not letting me hide? Does Absolutely. Um, I do remember there being a couple times, even when I came, where I, I couldn't even tell you what it was about. I have a terrible memory about a lot of things, but um, I remember there being a sermon where I just sat back in the chair and went, huh, <laughs> yep. Um, I remember actually even going up to the altar a couple times during one of those times and having guys pray for me because, it, you know, I knew what I was going through. I knew what I, what I was doing wasn't wasn't right. It wasn't, like, even for, not from a Christian standard, like, worldly it wasn't right what I was doing you know so like I was both kind of worlds that I could be in were telling mm. me like this isn't right you know mm. you got to change um, so that that was kind of that turning point because it made me like made me feel like dirt mm. because I realized it made me realize and come to terms with the fact that like I wasn't doing anything right like this was just meaningless I was just numbing and numbing do you think that that feeling of dirt would, would pressured you or made you feel like you, you had to hide even more like there was no I at, at go times back. yeah it felt like I was already like too deep under that I just had to keep digging to try to hide from the light sort of thing mm. so you want to take us through you know the rest I guess present day for the most or yeah just you know yeah through present day um, how you got back here because I still remember that right you brought someone with you yeah so I this that like I said after high school I graduated in 2014 that sort of summer and fall is when this all happened, where I was just searching for sex, and that, that was it. That's all I really cared about. That went on for two to three years. Um, there was about a year where I didn't have sex because I realized, like, I got to stop this, right? And then so I started online dating, and I went on a few dates, and then I, I met someone um, who I really liked, and I ended up bringing her here. And that's, uh, it was kind of like, she fell in love with it, like the first or second time she came. And so I was kind of stuck coming at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah so. So then what, so what happened? So you, so you bring this girl that you're dating. Yeah, kind of take us from there. That. 
Yeah, so we dated um, for a little over a year coming to the remnant, right? Like, so we, like, I had only known her probably a couple weeks when I brought her that first time. Um, so we dated for a year or so. Um, we became involved in the church. She joined the worship team. I joined not long after. Um, so we became sort of these almost like pillars and leaders in the church, right? Like we, we were at the forefront. Like I knew that she also grew up in a Christian home, so like I trusted her with all this stuff. And, um, but would you say at this point, before I like continue, that you were, you were still primarily coming because of her? If she were to say, I had, would have said to you, hey, I don't really want to do it, you wouldn't have. I think there was probably about five to six months where I was just coming because she wanted to go to church, and this is where we, this is where we came. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we dated for about a year. We got engaged. Um, we were engaged for, I don't know, 10 months or so. Um, still coming to, to the remnant. Everything was going good. We were planning the wedding. We had everything set pretty much. Um, and you, let's, let's get you moved yeah. before you change. So then what happened here? How did, when you moved in with the remnant house and all that too? Um, yeah. Because you were, that wasn't your idea. To move into the remnant. No, house. no, yeah. it was not. Um, so I was living, well, I had an apartment in South Whitley with one of my old friends. and But I wasn't really living there. I was living with her, basically, essentially, for, for a while because she got her own place. And so I didn't actually, like, move in. So that was the rationality. Is like I would just sleep there and, like, I would just go at random times. But, like, that wasn't my place. You know, I was paying rent somewhere else. I was, mm -hmm. my stuff was somewhere else. Um, so that happened for, I, I don't even remember, maybe a month, two, something like that. And then we came up to you and asked you, she asked you, <laughs> to uh, help keep us accountable, you know, when it comes to keeping Christ in the center of the relationship and all that stuff. And I just went, yep. Um, wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. And then there was one night I was at, I was at, at her house. I'm actually getting ready to go to bed and whatnot. And then you, you message me and go, "Hey man, so uh, you staying at her place?" <laughs> and <laughs> we've talked about this. Yep. But I, I had, a <laughs> I had about 10, 15 minutes where I was just rage filled. I was like, "How, how dare he? Like this is my life. Like stay Keep out." Keep in mind they asked me, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Like I, I was, I was pretty upset because I knew that like I wasn't gonna get that fulfillment that I was looking for because mm -hmm. I knew I shouldn't be. Um, I think that was the night I actually ended up coming, hanging out with you guys for a while. Um, so that that kind of almost became my routine as I would go to her place, but I wouldn't sleep there. I would come hang out with you guys for a while and then I'd go home or I'd just go home or whatever. Um, there were still a few nights even after you asked that I stayed, but it wasn't near as much. And I started to resent the fact that like, I, I f to me it was like I don't get to see her ever now. Like, Know, like I was starting to get upset, um, but then uh, probably a few months after that, three or four months, my roommate decided he wanted to move in with his girlfriend and gave me like two weeks' notice to get out. Mm -hmm. Like he had already contacted the landlord, said we're we're out by the end of the month, Man. and he was like, "By the way, I'm moving out." I was like, "Okay." Trying to find a place, I actually lived with my parents for maybe about a week or so in between, but she was pushing me to move in with you guys. Why was that? Um, she. She, she said she knew that it would be good for me, that I needed to be around other guys that would push me and hold me accountable and be with, you know, good, godly men. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, keep yeah. going. So, anyway, he moves in. Yep, move in. Um, supposed to be two months, right? Two, yeah. Three months. It wasn't, uh, I don't remember it, how long. It, I think it was going to be like five or six well, months, okay. right? I don't so know, Matt. It was, so. Yeah. yeah. It, I moved in in like, I think it was like May or something, and the 
the wedding was supposed to be that following February, so do the math. Yeah, I'm not going to. Um, but so it was supposed to be that following February. Lived with you guys um, through the summer. Clearly, I couldn't stay there anymore with, with her <laughs> because if I didn't come home, someone noticed. Um, so I didn't stay with her, but I would still kind of sneak off with her at times or whatever, even, yeah. you know. Um, so everything went through. So that December, so two months before the wedding, um, she came to me with some issues, and <clears throat> I've always had an issue with dealing with feelings and issues, and so I just kind of shrugged it off, right? And I was like, we're going to be married in two months, everything will be fine. Um, so that we had a couple more, not necessarily arguments, but conversations, like some deep conversations through December, um, and I felt like I was I was trying to fix what she asked, right? Like, I felt like I was. Um, so I thought everything was fine. I just, again, just kind of brushed it off. Like, oh, this is just pre-wedding pre pre -wedding jitters. Mm -hmm. She's getting anxious or nervous or whatever. Um, I didn't really think about it much. Not long into January, so a week or two into January, so we're within six weeks of the wedding, maybe even less at this point. Um, we've got deposits down, we've got all this stuff in, and um, she ends up calling off the wedding, right? Um, so that, that hit another sort of that, like, dirt moment, because I was like, man, had I just cared, like, had I just actually taken this serious, maybe I could have prevented this. And so we, she, we called the wedding off. Um, we stayed together for maybe a couple weeks after that, and then she uh, broke the, the relationship off again. We, we, we broke up for maybe a week or so, and then we dealt with that, and then we got back together again um, for a f probably only a few days at that point. And then it <clears throat> we called everything off again, cut off ties. Um, and then that was kind of that moment where, you know, I, I told you guys even I resented living with you guys for a while because I was supposed to be living with my wife, right? Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be starting that family. I was supposed to have my home with her. I was supposed to be going home to my wife, not to a bunch of <laughs> dudes. <Bobos>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so that, that was another really, really tough moment that mm. kind of made me realize, you know, I, I can hide all I want, but I'm still, you know, I'm still going to be found. I'm still going to be seen. Mm. So what happened after that? What's happened in the last? I really started to open up because I realized if I was going to live with you guys, I didn't have a choice at this point because I wasn't <laughs> getting out anytime soon. Um, <laughs> I feel love too, man. Yeah. So I started. <laughs> so I started to actually like live it, right? Like I, I realized that like I couldn't change the past, but I could only change going forward. And for a while, I was doing it just just for her even, you know, almost, it was somewhere between trying to prove to her that that's what I could be, and almost like, if I did reach, I was like, look at me now, sort of, you know, um, so somewhere between there, which wasn't necessarily healthy, but I think it got me jump-started, right, to yeah. go in the right direction, and then I started taking pride in what I was doing, and I started actually living it, and wanting to do it, and wanting to, you know, become a better Christian, and become a better man, and a better leader, and all these things, and I, I feel like I've done that over the last year and a yeah, a little over a year now, year year and a month or so. Yeah, because what happened too is, you know, from our from my perspective, from our perspective, and he's got other guys too before him, you know, it was constantly pushing because he still he still kind of was like, Everything's fine. 
Um, and I remember the, uh, yeah, it wasn't. And it was obvious to us, um, but I remember the night that we kind of got you to break, right, for lack of a better word, and you, and you shared that stuff. And, um, yeah, so when you look back, I have two more questions, and you can be free. Sure. <clears throat> One would be, tell me, you told me this part you did tell me, because mm-hmm. I asked you. I think it was well put. What was God telling you? What did God tell you through all this? What was the theme? Remember I said, hey, what, what do you want to talk about? And you told me, and then you said, and you connected the dots. I don't even remember now, but I think I remember the it, gist of it. It was about, <laughs> I fed this to it's him. Been, no, no, my, no about, um, about you running yeah. thing to thing to thing. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't matter how fast I ran or what I ran to. At the end of the day, it wasn't fulfilling. It didn't matter because it, it was just numb. Right? Like it, it was just numbing. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to fix the issue. I was just trying to find, um, find a, a, a quick fix. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, putting duct tape on a falling building. Like yeah. it wasn't going to fix it. It may hold a little bit, but it's not going to fix. And so I, like, I had to come to the realization that like, I couldn't do this without Christ. Like there's nothing I could do without Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that, that sort of realization that it didn't matter who I was trying to be or who, what I was saying or what I was doing. It didn't matter because I didn't have Christ. I didn't have that connection, that relationship. Yeah, and one of the things that we did that I'm so proud of you for was we challenged you um, to not date at all, right? Because that was the temptation, right? You were, you already started at one point. Hey, I'm going to sign up for these apps again, and we have to yep. see it. It was a God thing, man. He pops, you know, they get notifications. He just pops in, like, what are you doing? And yep. um, so we challenged you. You took this challenge, and he took it serious. And you know, we got a thing between us that he knows that reminded him mm. of how to push himself in that. We don't necessarily say that. But what happened was, what, what did you find as you, you stopped going to this, um, these, these relationships or these whatever? I, I definitely found that, like, I didn't need it, yeah. right? Like, I, it, I, I didn't need it. I, my whole life, I felt like this was a need because I needed this attention. I needed the care. I needed whatever, but I, I, I didn't, you know, and then I, I, from there that I, that was my thought, right? It was like, I, I didn't, I didn't care about this stuff as much anymore. I didn't need it. And then that transitioned into who I really was. And, you know, like the one, the one thing like I tell a lot of people and like, th- this has been a thing like I keep telling myself is like, I'm a freaking prince, yeah. you know, like it don't touch me. Like you can't, like I'm a prince period. Um, and so, like, it's kind of led into that. And so, like, it just, it doesn't matter what I feel like I need. Like, God knows. Like, he knows what I need. And he's going to give it to me. And it mm. doesn't matter what I want. <laughs> um, but he's going to give me what I need exactly when I need it. Yeah, it's so awesome, man. And it's so cool to see. So if you were to tell me, like, what's the difference between this Blake and that Blake? What, how does that, what's different? Side by side. Definitely. Um, definitely have a much better relationship with Christ and I actually care about that relationship. It's not just a, a title anymore. It's not just a name tag I can put on and say, I'm a Christian, you know, and like I, now when I say it, it's, it's like a brand, like I can't get rid of it. Like th- this is who I am. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what I stand for. Like this is who I follow. Um, I would say that's a big thing. And also I think there's a, like, I don't, I try not to be as much of an illusionist anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I still got to put the schmooze on every now and then with some people. But <laughs> Another wrong little <laughs> So what about, what about character traits, man, like mm-hmm. tangibly? You know, uh, what's different about you even there as a, as a man? 
Um, I definitely feel like I'm much more bold in leadership, mm -hmm. especially. Um, that that was the one thing is I was never like, if, if I were to be put in, like if a year ago Blake or however long, a year and a half ago Blake would be put into a leadership position, I would just crumple because I, I wouldn't want to do the hard things. I mm. wouldn't want to try to lead. I would just kind of be there and do what I needed to do. But now I definitely feel like, like I'm bolder in that. Like I want to lead and I know what it takes and I know um, you know what that weight feels like now. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and you are, man. Um, I'm really proud of you for that. Thanks. If you were to, I can count on you now, mm. right? And I think a, a lot of the guys would say that. So, a lot of people, not just the guys. So, I'm gonna, you get a chance to tell them, in a sense, what, do you, what would you tell them? If you, had, you have a chance right now to talk to these people, you can look at me if you don't want to look at them. They're intimidating. <laughs> you got to find one friendly face if you can find one. Uh, <laughs> so, what would you say, if anything? It doesn't matter doesn't matter what what you've done where you've where you've came from the mistakes you've made sin whatever it doesn't matter because that doesn't define you your name your title your identity does not include any of your mistakes that's not who you are because at the end of the day when we were up here for worship you know oh the blood like even in my sin you you died for me you bled for me it doesn't matter None of that matters, right? Because Christ died knowing what we were going to do, knowing that we were going to mess up, and knowing that we needed him, and he still did that. Hmm. Well, hey, man, I want you to know, uh, I'm trying not to get emotional because I'll get made fun of by Ernie, but uh, I, uh, I'm so proud of you. I don't probably tell you that enough because you have gotten to the place now that it's just who you are, so I don't even think about it. You know, you are steady, you are stable, and you are someone I that can be counted on. So I'm really proud of you. I love you. Well, you can give too, this guy a hand. All right, awkwardly hug him. So I want to talk a little bit, just to make some connections here. I think about Blake's story and the idea of hide and seek is, is Holy Spirit's real because I thought of that. I didn't ask him about the title. I know a story. And he told me today that idea, that picture he had of like him hiding behind a curtain that's halfway there, you know, halfway up his leg. Um, here's the thing. Blake's story is common for a lot of us and some of you in this room. You've gotten really good at pretending. You've gotten really good at putting on enough of a show so no one asks the question, so no one pushes into it. I want to read a couple verses that kind of tie into this. So I'm a, if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Now listen, there's a lot in Jeremiah. And this verse, in context, I can't tell you the whole point of Jeremiah. But one section I want to tell you here in this section is, is that through the prophet, God is essentially doing what he had to do many, many times to his people. He had to tell them, he said, why do you constantly run to these false gods? Why do you constantly run from me? Why do you constantly reject what I offer you? Why do you constantly spit in my face? Why do you constantly do that? And we pick up here the gist of it. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. For now, for your purposes, modern time, a cistern is, is, a, is a cup, a jug, okay? Holds water. See, people's tendencies, our tendencies as humans is to, to leave God and seek life other places. And it's interesting that he said you've done two evils because they sound like the same. He said, one, you walked away from me, but two, you went somewhere else for life. 
And both things are evil. Both things are wrong. He says these other places are like broken bottles. They cannot hold water. You're trying to get a drink. I want you to picture that. Hey, I'm thirsty. Let me go get a broken cup. And you pour the water in it. And you try to drink it. And it just spills on your hand and makes a mess. And you might get a little sip. But you're still left thirsty. These places that we went to, the places that Blake went to, in this case, relationships, which, by the way, is a very common one. And see, that's where some of you, even in this room, that are Christians, you want to know one of the most the heartbreaking things is I have done a lot of premarital counseling sessions now, I've performed a lot of marriages. Let me tell you what you think. You say, hey, I'm going to get this relationship, and I'm going to do it God's way, and, and, and you do, and that's all good, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But this is my question to every single person that gets married right before they get married. I say to them, now what? Because people tend to think that when you find that spouse, that life has meaning forever. That you just wake up and you're happy all the time and you, you never quit smiling and all of those types of things. But that's not reality because if you go to your spouse for life, they're going to fail you. And so what you end up doing is you build up and then there's a huge disappointment. And so we end up with a lot of hurting spouses and a lot of broken marriages and a lot of things that, well, it wasn't supposed to be this way. When you're right, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Your spouse isn't there to give you life. Relationships, money, power, status, alcohol, drugs, etc., pride, even your religion can be places you go for life. They can be places you go for your identity to get that feeling and, and Here's the thing. There are some things in life that we don't have to. I don't have to give you a definition. If I say life, you know I'm not just talking about the act of breathing. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about that thing that when you, that, you know, you don't go to bed at night looking at the ceiling saying, this is it. They can't feel the longing we have in our hearts. These broken cups can't feel the longing we have in our hearts. Even religion, some of you may say, what are you talking about, Todd? I thought you said Jesus is, you know, God is life. He is, but, but that's not religion. See, religion are all the things that we do to honor him, but those can't be the point. Recently, I heard about a couple months ago, a, a pastor, a youth, he might have been youth or something, young, handsome guy, beautiful wife, two children, and he killed himself. Why? Why? Head of a nonprofit that deals with, you ready for this? Suicide. And he killed himself. Why? Now, I don't know him, and I don't want to make his story uh, just a, a symbol, but I tend to think to myself, because even those things can't fill you. It's interesting, this idea. I love it. In this section, he says, you have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Let's go see Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, we find Jesus on the scene. I love this. This, could, this is its own thing. This is a great story. A lot of reasons, but I'm going to focus on he sees a woman, and he goes up to this woman who's drawing water from a well, right? Samaritan woman, we've heard of this. He goes up to this woman, and he starts asking her, and I love Jesus because he's so subtle, and he's so smart, and he just comes up and says, hey, why don't you give me a drink? Because he wanted to enter into conversation. So she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman. Get, you know, she shouldn't be talked to. She gets defensive. You know, you can pull your own water, and he goes, you know, if you knew, well, I get excited. Here we go. Starting in uh, verse 10. So John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? 
you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up with him for eternal life. What's a well? It's a fountain. Eternal life. We find out soon after this that Jesus, she tries to deflect, and he's, she's like, give me some. He says, why don't you go get your husband, knowing full well that she isn't married, that she's been with five different men. So we find yet another person that in some capacity has ran to relationships for life. And Jesus, so when Jesus is telling her about water, he's not talking about a drink. He's connecting where she's at with her life. He's saying where you're going for life is leaving you empty. If you come to me, you'll never be empty. Jesus uses the same illustration of life. He says that if we seek life outside of God, and as I mentioned in this case for this woman, that she seemed to seek life in the company of men, you'll only end up thirsty and unsatisfied. Because only Jesus can give us a source of water or life that will be never-ending, that will always satisfy us. Are you saying I'll be happy all the time? No, 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 I said you will be satisfied. Some of you, I say this all the time, some of you are on a constant search for happiness when you should be looking for joy. If you're new here and you've never heard my definition, and I'm sure I didn't create it, it's very simple. Happiness is completely contingent on the circumstances you are in. Joy is above them. Have you met those people? Their circumstances are horrible, but they're joyful. And they smile because you understand that their water comes from something other than themselves and comes from something other than their circumstances. So when you look at Blake's life, he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. But did he trust Jesus? When he started to have those feelings, did he keep going back or did he say, man, that cup looks fancier. That's the one everyone else is drinking from. She's pretty. I like her cup, right? So we go, he goes and he chases it to get, he set himself meaning to feel needed instead of seeking it. His purpose. And the only one who can tell him his purpose, and that's his creator. Only the one who creates can tell you what the purpose is for the creation. So what can we take from this? And I can't put into words to you. He shared some of this story at a worship experience a while ago, and I'll cry thinking about it. I'm so proud. Because for someone to get up in front of you and admit that and love you enough to tell you what happens when you go these places says a lot about who he is now. Did God abandon him during this time? No. He says, remember Jeremiah says, they have abandoned me. He's still there. All the while, I picture God following as he rushes from thing to thing in panic, trying to get a little drink out of these broken cups, and God's saying, just turn around. I've got all that you need. But see, sometimes you are so used to broken cups that you would settle for a sip instead of turn and ask for a drink. Because you, do you understand that you can get comfortable with misery? You can get comfortable with things that aren't good for you, knowing full well they're not, but at least you know them, right? 
It's like the, the people, have you ever heard, the, you know, this, this has happened many times. Someone gets kidnapped and they're forced to sleep on a floor for 10 years and they get home and they're given a bed. And what do they end up doing? The, the parent comes in and they're laying on the floor. Why? Because the floor's better than a bed? No, because that's what they're used to. See, many of us tend to fall into a cycle. Life comes, belief, stay with me, and faith are two different things. I can know that God is God. It's a whole different matter. And I can say, God, I believe you, that you love me. I believe you'll never leave me. Faith says, I'm willing to test it. I'm willing to say, I'm going to step, right, like Peter. Peter, I said, he had no idea what was going to happen. He just knew Jesus said step, right? We know it ends with him walking on water, but I bet you if I put you in a boat and someone says it, you're going to go, man, that is not looking good. He knew what Jesus could do, but it was his faith in him that made him step out. So many of us tend to fall in a cycle. We believe in God. Some of you in this room, Christians, you're the ones I'm talking to today. If you don't, aren't a Christian, you're interested, you're just like, yeah, I'm here because my boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever's invited me, or this other cute girl, kind of like Blake, I'll talk to you in a little bit. But if you're a Christian in this room, listen, we do this all the time. You come and you say, and I'm, I'm this guy, sometimes I'll be so mad at God, I'll say, why aren't you keeping your promises? You told me I would have joy, peace, patience, all of these things, right? And God says to me, have you done any of the things I told you to do? It's like being in a building that's on fire, and I'm screaming, why are you letting me burn? Why can't I get out? And he said, I told you where the door is. Just get up and walk. I'm like, no, I want the door to be here. Right? That's it. So we walk away from God when our belief, the moment when our belief has to become faith, we'd rather run somewhere else. Because we put faith in ourselves, right? I can, yeah, maybe it's a broken cup, but I'm the one holding it. I'm the one holding it. So we walk away from God. Then what happens? Then we begin to hide from God. Powerful story in Genesis, right? God shows up. He says, where are you at? He knew where they were at. He was asking for them. They come out. They tell him. He said, why did you hide? Well, I I was uh, naked, so I hid. He said, who told you you were naked? Who told you to be ashamed? Who told you to hide from me? When we walk away from God, we begin to believe lies and we begin to hide from Him. We try to seek life and fulfillment from other things then because we're hiding from Him and we think we can't go back because He's mad at us. So then we just continue this cycle. We feel empty because the sandcastles we build and the house of cards we think leads to stability and satisfaction and life inevitably fail us. And so listen, my friends, it's what we do next in those moments. If this is you in the room, don't worry about the fact that you build sandcastles or house of cards and they fall. And it's what do you do now that they're fallen? You have two options. You can pick up your pail and start building another one that will fall. Or you can turn around. You can turn around and ask God to set you on firm ground, to give you water, to give you life, to follow him and trust him and put your faith in him. We have to come to a place where we realize that the cup we're trying to use has cracks in it. It's not working. I say that all the time. I have people come and talk to me, and I know usually within 10 minutes whether or not I can help them because if they're unwilling to admit that what they're doing is a problem, it will not get fixed. If you can't admit that the cup you have is broken, it doesn't matter if I try to give you another one because you're going to, why do I need it? I have this one. The beautiful thing is that God, no matter what it seems like, God never leaves us. He never left Blake. He chased him. 
How do I know? Because he kept saying, I couldn't hide, <laughs> right? Where are you? Oh, well, you're behind this curtain. Then he goes and puts a little leaf over him. He's like, where are you at? You're right there, right? Hide and seek. God will not leave you because Jesus himself made a promise to the Father. He said, I will never lose one of those you have given to me. Amen. The beautiful thing is that God never leaves us, never forsakes us. It's still right there beside us, right beside you right now, no matter what you've ran to. Waiting for you to come for him, come to him for real life and to find true life. Listen, this is important. Even the recognition that you're drinking out of a broken cup is not enough. Because you could come back to God. Remember you said you've done two evils. You've walked away from me and you've also sought water, life from somewhere else. We can walk back to God but still be looking for life other places, right? You have to then put that faith back in him. How does it show itself? By what you do. Do you follow him? Do you let go of those things? To find true life, we have to let go of the false life, the masks, the broken cups, the illusions, all of the things that you have done to hide and pretend and try to find fake life. You have to let it go because for him to give you what he wants to give you, you have to drop what's in your hands. That's it. He's not mad at you in Jesus. He's not. Because if God is mad at you if I've put your faith in Christ, then the cross was not all sufficient. It either was, his wrath was either poured out, or he kept a little bit for when you mess up. So that's not the case. So here's the thing then. Why does he do the things he does? Why does he allow those things to happen? Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he won't leave you there. Even if you're kicking and screaming. So I want to ask you, she's going to play some music here for the last few minutes. Are you playing hide and seek with God? Listen. Are you playing hide and seek with God? You show up every now and then just like Blake did while your life looks completely different when you walk out. You're hiding and you're anxious because any moment now somebody's going to see past the facade and going to see what you're hiding. And you got to hide it. Because if, did you catch what he said? Because if they find out, no one's going to love you, right? No one's, they're going to push you away, kick you out. So that must mean God will too. It's wrong. He said that he is faithful, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's no condemnation in Christ. I could go on and on. Listen, are you playing hide and seek with God? Have you been trying to take drinks from cups that are broken and never really satisfy you? And let me tell you right now, Todd, how do I know? Because that thing that came to your mind when I said broken cup, that's your broken cup. That's your broken cup. Oh, and then you're kind of mad, right? Because you don't want that to be a broken cup. So even as I say that, you're a little irritated. That's not me. I always say take it up with God. That's called the Holy Spirit. That isn't me. I'm not a mind reader. So that broken cup, are you willing to lay it down? Are you tired? Are you weary from the games, from building sandcastles and card castles over and over again, watching them topple over, over and over, and having to rebuild them again over and over? Do you want a sip of dirty water or your fill of living water? Which do you want? Because make no mistake about it, you can get mad and you can say this or that, but at the end of the day, only one person can give you living water that never ends, and that's Jesus. So understand what you're choosing. You may like your broken cup, but it's still a broken cup. 
You have to lay down the broken cup, take off the mask, turn away from the made-up God that you've created, and turn back to your heavenly Father. To gain living water, you have to let go of the cup in your hand. Here's the thing. That thing you've put your identity in, your salvation in, your hope, all of those things. You see, God loves you and is ready and waiting to give you life and give it to the full. John 10, 10, he said it. That's more than eternal life. Well, that would be, wouldn't that, that'd be enough, wouldn't it? He loves you, he loves you so much he gives you more than that. That's crazy. If you're in this room today, you don't know Jesus, then you probably don't even realize that you've been drinking out of a broken cup. But let me tell you how, I'm going to tell you right now how you, how you can know. How has life gone for you so far? How tired and weary are you? It's exhausting to rely on another person to give you everything, isn't it? It's exhausting to rely on a job that can be taken away at any moment or money or friends or power or status, whatever it is. It's exhausting. It's exhausting because you're trying to pull, eke out a little bit of water out of something that, that doesn't have enough for you. Here's the gospel, the good news. You want to know what's good news? Here it is. God created everything. He created us. He made us in his image, and he said, you can have everything in this world. You can rule it in my name, but here's the deal. You have to let me tell you what right and wrong is. I'm God, you're not. That's what happened in the garden. That's what happened. Don't eat of that. Why? It's bad. <laughs> no, I think it's not. So when we reject God, God is purely holy, right? He is good and holy entirely. When that happens, we have sin, imperfection, unholiness, that enters our lives, we are tainted. And because of that, he cannot be in relationship with us. Well, that's bad news because the thing that we were made to do, we can no longer do. So you've ran around your whole life trying to fill a hole that nothing can fill. So thousands of years of human existence have shown us what happens when the creation is away from the creator. War and death and misery and loneliness and suicide and brokenness, all of these types of things. Bible says that the wages of sin are death and because we are sinful, sin, what does that mean? That's a scary religious word. It means that bad part of you. That part of you, right, that you can't scrub clean no matter how much you try. That part of you that shows itself in all kinds of symptoms because here's the thing, even if you could stop doing the bad things, something inside of you is broken and you know it. So, what, did, what happened? God came down in the form of man, Jesus Christ, he existed. Let's not even debate that. That's a fact. Jesus of Nazareth existed, so who was he? Well, he says he's the son of God and that he is the only way to the Father, to God, to restoration. He's the only one that can forgive you. That's what he said. So do you believe him or do you not? So what happened? He told us how to live. And here's the thing, that guilt, that shame, that pain, the mistakes you have, all of that on the cross, this perfect God man died. He took a horrible physical death and to a degree of spiritual death because the father turned his back on him because he could not stand the sight of the sin on him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so you never have to be. But here's the thing. In order to have that, you still have a choice. You can put your faith in yourself or your broken cisterns or you can put your faith in God. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, well, how do I do that, Todd? The Bible says if you Confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? You just believe him. You believe him. Well, Todd, I gotta clean this up first. I gotta do this first. No, you don't. 
in the midst of our sin, he's offering you this today. I was you. I was old enough to remember. You can leave here today knowing that your past is gone, that you are wiped clean, that if you were to die today, you will be with the Father in heaven. That is reality. So whatever you do today, don't leave the same as you came in. There's going to be people up here praying for you, willing to pray with you. Maybe you're struggling because you've been drinking out of a broken cup so long you don't know what to do. They'll pray with you. You don't need them, but there's something powerful about that. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, listen, and you don't know how to do it, I was you. And I'm going to tell you what the person told me because I wasn't going to go up. Someone whispered in my ear that to this day I will never be able to think until we're both in heaven. And he said, you don't have to be afraid. And it changed my life because I got up and went. It's all real. Whatever you do, don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.